Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. If you're going to move and not just sit there, you're going to face resistance. What would it look like if I actually believed what God says about me? If I don't spend time every day talking to myself even about my personal definition of success, getting it crystal clear, then it's just easy to be distracted. It's easy to wander. What we accept becomes what we believe. The most common experience I've had is when people will become vulnerable because somebody else is vulnerable. Today's person of purpose is Greg Yates. After more than 30 years in business, owning as many as 14 businesses at one time with hundreds of employees, Greg found himself under the influence of head trash when the real estate market crashed. In denial, Greg made decisions that ultimately cost him tens of millions in capital and a year in prison. Going from massive success to the brokenness of failure, Greg came face to face with the head trash that had blocked his decision-making process and left him isolated as a leader. Now, Greg trains high-level teams, the four essential GETS, G-E-T-S, if they want to break through the barriers of head trash. Greg takes leaders into a training environment he calls the practice zone, where these four essentials can be intentionally developed for success. Greg is the author of four books, and his fifth book, entitled Circumstances Lie, will be released in the fall. His first book, Broken, How Being Broken Unlocked the Greatest Success of My Life, details his life, leadership, success, and the entire story of his legal battles in prison. It's a brutal story with extensive details Greg journaled in prison and how his return home sparked the desperate search for a new belief system and significance. Greg is a speaker, author, trainer, and coach, but his ultimate mission is building teams of Christian leaders who are pursuing their highest creative purpose by training together in the practice zone leadership environment of small group networking. Talking with Greg Yates today was fantastic. We had so much solidarity being a Christian men who are leading organizations. He's well ahead of me in all this, but I felt like so much alignment with his purpose. And it just felt like there was a brotherhood that was formed throughout this interview. And I know he's going to be someone in my life for a long time. I want to talk about this one point he talked about that really, really struck with me that I don't think has ever been talked about on People of Purpose. And that is about having a clear definition of success. Greg talks about it in detail. And I want you to really pay attention because it's going to really influence you. I know it will influence me. And it's about how in everything you're doing, all the goals you have, your relationships you're a part of, what is it? What does success look like? And why is that what we've chosen to mark the success by? And I think when you're able to cultivate that every single day, and live as if that is the benchmark and that is the real goal, I think life becomes way more simple and way more purposeful 
and you're able to prioritize what truly matters. So I'm really excited for you to listen to that aspect of our interview and then also just get a sense of Greg's energy. He's full of life, full of passion. He's in his 60s. He's been in prison for a year and he's super fit, super happy, leading lots of men and he's just going to change your life. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this interview with Greg Yates today on People of Purpose. Hey, Greg, it's good to see you today. Happy to be a part of No Head Trash Nation. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of your passion and your energy and go on your mission today with you. Hey, Tanner, it's great to be here, man. I am super excited to share with people of purpose because purpose is what I'm living for, man. That is the only reason we're talking. Yeah. Well, I'm super happy to get in touch with you. I know you're a very purposeful individual. You have an extremely unique story from riches to rags through prison to the kingdom of God, like all of this. It's really inspiring. I'm excited to break it down. Well, me too. I'm looking forward to sharing. God's given me a story to share, and I'm passionate about sharing it. I found out that, crazy as it sounds, I want to talk about the things I've really won at, you know, my big successes and all that. And where people have found benefit is in my failures. And so I'm willing to talk about both. So here we go. Right. Fingers crossed. That was one of the questions I had is like, why do you think people come into your story through the failure aspect? What about the failure is so influential on people? You know, that's a great question. I mean, really great question. What I know is this. I was like Superman for years. And I don't say that egotistically. I was the guy who at least for all appearances just everything I did turned out okay. You know, you know, how you know, those people who like, it seems like they got really bad luck. Well, I was the golden boy. I mean, for decades, everything I worked on, everything I did just worked out. I made a lot of money. Every project I was in, I would literally have people come to me and say, Hey, whenever you're doing another project, let me know. I'd like to invest. And I'm thinking, why would I let you invest? You know, I want to do this myself. And God just blessed me so amazingly that honestly, Nobody could relate to my story. What they didn't know, of course, was what was going on behind the scenes in my head. Why do you think I do this no head trash thing, right? Because that's where I was. And now that I have this broken story that literally I had to make a choice to tell Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to tell it. You with me? Right. I I didn't want to tell it. I wanted like to be able to just talk about my wins. And I just blurted it out one day to a guy that I was being introduced to. It's in my book. You'll love it. He says, Greg, what do you do? I said, like slow motion, right? It all just stretched out. And I could hear my wife listening like this. (laughs) What's he going to say? Leaning in. uh, Yeah, yeah, everybody around was like, it was like, have you ever seen the love of the game with Kevin Costner where he says, clear the mechanism and everything goes and just gets silent? That's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I said, uh, well, I just got out of prison and I'm pretty much living off my wife. (laughs) Oh, that's honesty, man. I didn't know what else to say because everything in me was screaming to just tell him, you know, well, you know, I still own four businesses. I still have a couple hundred employees. I still this, I still that. And yet I knew in that moment that I was making a choice to be vulnerable because nothing else mattered. And so now when I'm vulnerable, I literally, Tanner, have people like come up to me after I speak and like whisper in my ear or catch me and say, hey, when you get a chance, I want to talk to you. And they tell me stories 
that they say they've never told anybody. I've had people call me and want to meet, want to come to my house. You know, all these things because they're like, Greg, I thought this book was about you and I found out it was about me. The search for validation, the addiction and need to be significant, all those things. So you asked me a question, I can't help it, man. I think people relate more to failure than they do to success. And yet we love our heroes, right? Right. No, I totally agree with that. And the way that you talk about how you can't do wrong before, and now all of a sudden you're saying, I rely on my wife. This is quite a flip. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. I was so, I don't know any better way to say it. You read the first chapter of my book, I know you have, where I'm talking about what it was like sitting in church. We believe our own press after a while, man. We, we actually isolate ourselves so much at times that we believe somehow that it changes who we are in comparison to the rest of the world. We got this comparative reality going on. So for me, it was all about people understanding who I was and changing the chemistry because I was in the room. It makes me want to laugh now. I change it in a different way these days. Yeah, the narrative that we say is crazy. It's all fake. None of it is actually completely honest. Only God knows the real narrative. You know, this is just a thought that I've been developing literally this morning in my journaling because I was coaching with a guy and you just said it. You know how we do, we like tell the story in a way that doesn't make us really look that bad, right? Even though there's vulnerability in there, we just kind of test the waters with this little hint of vulnerability, but we never really just say it. Correct. And the guy was telling me a story that I wanted to just stop him and say, do you realize what you're really saying? But then I realized I've done the same thing. I've reconstructed events so that they don't make me look nearly like probably I should. And I got to tell you, man, I know I don't want to get too far off on the prison road unless you want to go there. But you know, in my book, I talk a lot about it. I'm journaling from there. But I mean, mid fifties, laying on your back, three foot from the ceiling on the top bunk in a 10 foot by 10 foot cell you're sharing with four guys is not a place you want to be, especially when there's amazing odors, <laughs> incredible amounts of language and everything else that you cannot tune out. And then to lay there at night when I'm a guy who's used to sleeping three or four hours a night at that point, and all you have is time. And now to just be laying there, it was like being in hell. Can I say that? It was like being in hell. My mind was going back through all of these experiences, all these conversations, and I was seeing the real me. And it was terrifying. It was terrifying, man, because I realized that what I had been was what was temporary. And now I just wanted to go back and fix it all. And it couldn't shut it off. It was looping and replaying and replaying. And it absolutely took me to a place of being thankful, number one, that I wasn't dead. And number two, that I actually could walk into the presence of God and figure out for the first time in my life what grace was really all about. I'm getting carried away. No, I totally, I relate to that. You're stuck in that pit, that wondering, am I going to have my life back? Am I going to be able to rise out of these ashes and become the Greg Gates? I know that, you know, deep inside somewhere that you have this major destiny ahead of you, but sometimes you get in this pit. Um, especially like in this case, for sure, you're in a cell 10 by 10 with four people and you had all these successes comparatively, you're not doing so hot. But 
there's so much richness in that valley. That's where all the nutrition is and to build up yourself back to like who you can be. Well, yeah. And, and you know, what people need to know too, is that that's not an instant process, right? Not a process we do alone. I mean, we really can't do it alone. I'm honestly telling you the truth. That's my mission in life right now. Not for guys who've been in prison necessarily, but for to deal with the broken issues that gradually shrink our circles to where we think, you know, we can't get outside our own heads, right? No head trash. We can't get outside our own head. We are living with these barriers. We don't think it's possible to actually let the shields down and be vulnerable. Right. And it just continues to isolate us and isolate us. And before I forget to say it, I want to tell you that I spent a couple of years transitioning out of that sense of failure and loss, not because of money, although it was like a $50 million loss. I felt that way because of identity. Like you said, I didn't know who I was anymore. Right. And so then I began to say, well, I still have these skills. I'm still who God created, but I blew it, right? I just blew it. I might as well just hibernate. And one day, I decided that if I was going to move forward, I had to have this one belief. And I tested it, and I realized I didn't have it. And this was this belief, Tanner. And it, and it kind of went against the way I was raised in a conservative Christian church, to be honest. And that was that my highest creative purpose is still ahead of me, not behind me. And I know that sounds like, well, yeah, that's obvious. But when you're broken and you think you just blew up your whole world and suddenly you're thinking, wait a minute, was this just on the journey to me becoming who I was created to be? Right. And I, it took me a long time to actually accept it. I, I rejected it but I kept tinkering with it. And over a period of time, I put some systems in place for myself to accept that belief and four others that are kind of personal that I knew that it was still ahead of me. And by accepting that, it gave me the strength, the passion to stop looking back and start looking forward and realize that, you know, God uses us. That's like my favorite scripture, you know, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So you said like it was against your upbringing to think that your greater purpose is ahead of you. But what other option do we have but to believe that? Like that is what we have to believe in order to move forward passionately. Yeah, you're right. But in my mind, I don't know if sure this was ever really said out loud, but have you ever heard the kind of the line of thought that people have is that, you know, you've got this highest purpose that God had in mind. And then everything else is like second best. Oh, he can still use you, but it won't be the perfect situation. At least that's how I interpreted it as a child growing up in the church and everything else was that, oh, if you miss it, you miss it. And right. maybe there's plan B, but what if this really is plan A? No, I, I believe it is. Like, look at you right now. You got branding, you got podcasts, you're on podcasts, you have audiobook, you have masterminds. We're about to talk about all this. Like, this is very purposeful. Like, people are broken in smaller ways, maybe not to the extreme all at once type of thing that you went through, but we're all broken in different ways. That's definitely part of the Christian faith is to recognize that. And so when we can do our part to lift up our brothers and sisters, like, that is 
there's so much purpose there. That's much more of a calling, in my opinion, than making a lot of money. Than making money. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like in that pursuit to make money, I'm recognizing that there has to be a certain degree of like bravado in like who you are and what you provide and you're shaping your story and your narrative into something that people trust and want to buy into. And you know, it's not 100% the story because you don't want to present all your insecurities to others. But with God, we need to be that way. But if you're not careful, after a while, you've told that story enough times that you actually believe it. <laughs> Man, that must be so disorienting to be laying in prison and realize like the story I've been living in, I don't believe anymore, but I don't know what to believe. My faith tells me I probably don't have much more to go. I've had my peak. I was a young man making money, blah, 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 leading teams. I'm sure that felt incredibly purposeful as well. 100%. But then it's like, what's next? 100%. Like, I don't know. That's an interesting spot to be in. And I'm like definitely curious to break that down. Yeah. I think people are trying to find purpose, obviously. That's why I started this podcast, People of Purpose. I think we all kind of inherently know that we are imbued with purpose. But it's how do we walk in alignment with that? How do we take the courageous steps we need to step out in faith? And to know that grace is there with us to hold us, even in our setbacks and our failures. And how did you wrestle with that? Like you said, was it a cycle where you going through like, oh, life is going to be grand. Oh man, look where I am now. I don't like this at all. And I don't trust God. I'm spiteful for where I am right now. Like how did all that play out for you? You know, you're saying something there that's real. I kind of feel like it's like a spectrum, right? Where you're you start migrating this way and the percentages gradually change, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, I don't even think about it anymore. I'm thankful, legitimately thankful for the experiences I've had. And yet there are times when it washes over you, you know, like, you know, whether you want to think of it as the enemy or, or whatever, there are times when the head trash just washes over you and you say, well, why would anybody care what you have to say, Greg? Or, you know, if you hadn't blown it, you could have been having this same conversation from a position of strength and a position of success. You wouldn't have been the guy who failed, right? Do you believe that? Um, what? Do you believe that? I don't know. I'm just saying that's what, your, that's what your brain does, right? Right. Your head can tell you anything and you think it's like real because, you know, because it happens in there. You're thinking, oh, it's realistic. I, I should listen. No. No. How conscious were you? Like, were you recognizing like, this is a thought. This is a half-baked belief. Maybe I want to like play it out a little bit. I'm going to experiment with this belief for a day or two. And then I'm going to reassess. Were you that conscious? Or were you, would you, you know what? Trap? You're right on track, man. Hey, I would love to say that I just chose this belief and boom, things changed and all that. It's never that way. And that's one of the reasons why I coach. That's one of the reasons why I do masterminds. It's one of the reasons why I connect with people in the No Head Trash Nation. It's, it's all about the fact that it is a journey. I don't care where you are. If you're going to move and not just sit there, you're going to face resistance always. And I do a lot of public speaking. And the other day I got up in front of a group of people and they said, Greg, come and tell us why you're here. And all of a sudden I just felt, Ah, and I got up there and I told him, I said, I'm here because I'm angry. That's why I'm here. I'm angry because we think the enemies are out there and they're not out there. The enemies are here. The, everything you want to be, everything you believe is possible is being strangled. Another term I like to use is you're swimming in jello, right? Can you picture that one? Uh, 
setting up on you and you're trying to make your way through it. It's all barriers. I hate the enemies because the enemies are right in here. And, you know, of course, it just came out. I didn't plan it. And everybody was like, if I had hair, my hair would have been blown back, right? But yeah, I mean, I will say, Tanner, that now I feel like I've trained myself to hear beliefs mm. in myself, right? in others. I actually had a pretty significant breakthrough on hearing beliefs when I was in business big time because of interviewing, right? That's a whole nother conversation. But I developed kind of an interview system where you know, I'm done telling people what I believe when I'm interviewing them. I want to know what they believe. And I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about, I want to understand their perspective for life. I want to understand their definition of success. And if I don't understand that, I have no way to know, can we connect? Can we work together? I'm looking now at a resume and seeing if they know how to run Microsoft Excel. I mean, that doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I totally feel that. Like, for some reason, all of our metrics of value and all of our barometers for how successful and, you know, impressive somebody is are like, what do you do? What skills do you have? What external circumstances do you tend to find yourself in? Are you hanging out with millionaires and doing lots of business or are you sleeping on the street? But really, like, it's the state of your consciousness, yeah. the state of your heart and the state of your alignment with the larger, you know, spiritual realm, like God and God's purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's always, always a game where our head is always playing and, and it gets real close to like destroying us. But then it can also get real close to believing major things. And then it's like back and forth, especially like I'm a young entrepreneur. I go through that all the time. Oh. Someone tells you, get a job, have security, blah, blah, blah. Another one's like, go for the moon, go for the millions. And I'm like, wow, I got to decide myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, part of the system that I used for a few years on myself and then now I use with my clients is a system I call the Power 30 routine, but that's irrelevant. It's this idea that I adopted an interesting belief, okay? See if this makes any sense. And that was that the head trash is really my inner subconscious questioning me, looking for an answer that I have not provided. Mm. And so I began to turn the tables and say, I'm going to ask the questions, okay? I'm going to ask the questions. And so strategically, every night, I pose a question that has to do with how or what, not why, because why is an endless loop for the subconscious mind. But I will ask myself, you know, if I were going to impact more people for the kingdom, how would I do that? And then I just kind of tell my brain, I want to know the answer in the morning, right? <laughs> I know it sounds like I'm a nut, right? But I found that if I let my subconscious mind kind of like go on its own, yeah. it gets in all kinds of trouble. It gets in all kinds of trouble. But if I'm directing those things, then I find that more and more a percentage of the feedback, the head trash, so to speak, that more and more of that feedback from my subconscious mind is answering the questions that I'm asking it. Right. Just a little tidbit there, just a little something I've learned through, you know, pain and anguish. <laughs> ah, that's true. I was reading a book the other day by Josh Waitzkin. He is like one of the world's chess champion for like lots of years. And he does like a lot of Tai Chi martial arts. And that's one of his techniques is ask yourself the important questions at nighttime. Like cool. make sure you know what those questions are. And then in the morning, look at those and the answers will come because your subconscious has been stewing over it for so long. Yeah. Um, it, I've never read anybody else saying that, but I knew I couldn't be the only one that 
get off track, but what got me thinking about that was how many times do we like say, Hey, I thought of that while I was in the shower. Right. You know? Right. When I woke up this morning, I had it. Or we wake up in the middle of the night and we're like, I need to write this down. Why? Because there's been a conscious or unconscious question that's been asked and our brain is out there searching for the answer. It's a powerful tool. Are you saying we become more efficient at finding those answers that happen more often, more frequently, more powerfully if we know our question? Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. How do we become to know our question when we're stuck in the pollution of the mind? Well, for me, it started with asking questions that about my beliefs, right? It's like, well, I would start like this. What if I believed this? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm saying, what would it look like if I believed this? And then, of course, I started saying, well, what would it look like if I believed that my highest creative purpose was still ahead of me? Hmm, what would that look like? And, of course, now I ask myself every day, what would it look like if I actually believed what God says about me? <laughs> <laughs> that's a big one i love that no i like it's super relatable what you're saying it's like it sounds so simple but for some reason we tend to overcomplicate things and just dilute and pollute the truth which is that we are loving beings capable of being loved and helping each other along in this journey towards purpose to fulfill the kingdom like it doesn't seem much more complicated than that <laughs> Yeah, Christ tried to say this so ever, you know, it's like, okay, you're going to have to be like a child. In other words, quit complicating things. Right. But it's our nature. And, and I thought of this this way recently, and that is, you know, there's a saying that people say, if it's easy, anybody would do it. Mm -hmm. It's not true. It's not true. The, the fact is, if it's easy, people won't do it. Because nothing about business is inherently hard. Nothing about networking is inherently hard. Nothing about our relationship with God or with each other. None of it's hard. It requires little bitty steps that we take on a consistent basis to just move from here to there. And I challenge anybody to come up with, you know, when we think it's that jump over the building, you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound type of thing, that's when we believe it's not in our control. That's when we believe that, that we really are just a victim of fate right. and we can do nothing about it. My wife in particular coaches people in their health because it's such a big barrier. When I coach people, I deal with five areas. I call them the only five opportunities of life. Your body, your mind, your relationships, your faith, and your finances. That's it. I don't know of any others. And I always start my people with health because we need to know. You think it's in competition with your financial success, I realize, but we need to start there. And, you know, of course, that applies more to guys my age than it does your age, man. You're like, you know, what are you talking about? I can just wake up in the morning and I'm awesome, you know? No, I know what you're talking about. I mentioned before we recorded, I fell down a mountain at Yosemite and I broke part of my neck and a part of my spine and got major tissue damage and a concussion. Uh -huh. I was immobile and my dad had to shower me for the next two weeks. Wow. I had trouble sitting for more than five minutes without needing to move and then vice versa. And mm. I got into things like, yoga and acupuncture and then I eventually moved to Thailand was getting massages every week and I ran into other kinds of doctors and it's been a process of rehabilitating myself so yeah now it feels like an advantage that I have systems to take care of my body I eat well it. I drink well I try to have good posture I meditate every single morning I tend to do a workout or yoga practice or run one of those three every single day or, or all three ideally in a good day it's finished my whole deal and that's exactly what I'm saying is it's 
it's things we're capable of doing that we just have to do on a regular basis, right? Right. It's not like I used to believe in this, you know, you got to completely get outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, forget that. You show up at the gym. That's what you do. You show up yeah. and you do the things you're capable to do and you do them consistently and gradually you're capable to do more things. It's awesome. Right. It's the whole like, get yourself there, do one rep. Oh, now I have the weight in my hand. I'm doing one rep. I could probably do two. Oh, I should probably go until it's hard. Oh, now I'm feeling warmed up. Let's go to the next one. I find myself like, yeah, like just, you just think of that next step or the next two steps and boom, like a whole new world opens right. up. And then you yep. feel just golden. Two hours later, you left the gym, you're walking home and you're just like, I made it today. Like for me, it satisfies you know, something inside. It's this manliness, I guess. <laughs> See, you just identified another interesting thing is that people think that success or the feeling of success is out there in the future somewhere, right? Right. But it really exists when we know we've accomplished today what moved us closer to where we want to be. And, you know, when, we, when you're coaching people in their health, I mean, we've got dozen people who have, like, lost more than 100 pounds. Not that we're in a weight loss specific situation, but we know that beginning of health often means getting our bodies back into a, a healthy weight. And always it's this situation where the enemy isn't what we're doing every day. The enemy is that accumulation of efforts. Oh, I've been doing this for a month. That means it's going to take me a year to get to my goal. Yeah, but guess what? You're going to be a year older anyway. You might as well have reached your goal. And that's the head trash issue is we think, you know, we're in a society who wants instant results. We want to plug it in and turn it on. Yeah, no, no, thank you. So have you ever done meditation work before? You seem like you've tapped into something around how the mind works. You know, I wouldn't say I've done formal. I've not been trained formally to do that. I did work at it in my own way, began doing that in prison, actually. Right. You just have so much time there. Yeah. Time, time is the enemy. <laughs> it's laughable because you think, you know, you think you're used to being productive, right? And then there's zero you can do to be productive. And so I began spending time where I was literally just walking into the presence of God. That was my methodology mm -hmm. and asking myself, what am I seeing? What's this look like? It took me a long time to actually get into his space, right? Because the emotion, the fear even of it, the, the sense of like radiation, I could feel it. And then I finally got to the place where I was coming and kneeling in God's presence. And my sister who passed years ago was there. It shocked me. Wow. I began to see the expressions and the emotions of God, the Father. I mean, never any words or anything, just I could tell when he was completely at peace. One time I literally came in there. I know you're going to be like, oh, we got to cut this out of the interview. I literally mentally came into the presence of God and he was standing up, like looking off into the distance. And I thought, we are going to war. Something is happening. And I began to pray, you know, I began to pray like, you know, what's happening? Is it somebody in danger? Is there a, a true battle going on somewhere? Praying for my family, praying for the people, because I couldn't be there. I couldn't call them. I couldn't touch them. I couldn't anything. And I realized that that connection with God was going to change my whole life because I saw that I was part of a collective, part of a, a missional force 
that was currently on the earth, currently in this humanity, right? Am I getting too, mm-hmm. too, too bold here? Currently in this reality, but I was here as a soldier and I was here to make a difference and make an impact. And that's why I've had to move out there and be like, draw my sword once in a while and know that the enemy's real mm-hmm. and that my mission is a lot bigger than just going out and making money. And don't get me wrong. I think we need to make money. We need to make a living. We've all got to fulfill the purpose for which we're intended. But in the process, we're going to connect with others who need to see the kingdom. Right. No, for sure. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I think that, yeah, obviously the worldly things are fairly important, but we need to keep our eye on the real prize, which is you know fighting for God's kingdom. And I, I relate to that too. When I was sitting by that waterfall, kind of passing out, I had the option, it felt like, to let it go and die. Like everything was white and silent, and then it comes back. And I made some deep promises to God that whole night. It was like, I'm going to reemerge from this. I'm going to be a better person. I'm curious, like, how did you think of your previous life? I, I understand the whole false narrative aspect, but did you have some degree of repentance? Or did you feel like you were living without God? Or like, didn't need God, were too good for God, or were God? How did you feel about all that? You know, I honestly believed during that entire time that I was doing God's will for my life. Yeah. At least that was my narrative, right? Right. I knew there were things that weren't perfect. And I knew there were areas where I was the guy who was willing to write the check but not really be involved. I knew that. But I didn't know this at the time, but I was completely in the earning mode. I was in the mode of saying, Hey, I'm keeping the rules. I'm paying my tithe and giving to the church and and I'm providing jobs. You know, I'm doing all these things. I'm going to church and look, God's blessing me. Therefore, this is what he had in mind for me. This is what my mission is. You know, I really confess that I longed to be one of those guys who felt like they had a call. I mean, they had like this specific mission they were on. And I'm thinking like, wow, that's got to be great. For me, I just feel like, man, I must be there just to pay the bills. And that's what God needs from me, so that's what I'm going to do. As I, you know, erupted from that, of course, it's a tremendous sense of regret, like regret of time, regret of resources. Mm-hmm. Not that God needs my resources, but this sense that by me being stupid, and I just got to be honest, if I had had the network of Christian brothers that I have now, mm-hmm. when I was going through some of those times, my decision-making would have been different. But I couldn't listen to anybody else talk to me about something that I didn't believe they had any right to talk to me about or any experience to talk to me about. And now I realize what a trap that is. But you know, you ask about repentance. Yeah, I've done a lot of repentance, but more than anything, I've seen it is, you know, like this greatest gift for me to be able to be dead mm-hmm. and then be alive again, because money and power can be pretty deceptive. Right. It really can. So you mentioned earlier on that you put some systems in place and you had this belief and four other beliefs. How have you stayed so in alignment with these deep truths you recognize and deep promises you made to yourself and God when you were in the pit of prison? You're years later now. And yeah, you're, you know, you're rocking it. Look at you, man. You, you got big chest out you got a great shirt on. You got like branding behind you. You're like full of energy and life. I wish people could see this. I hope that one day my podcast is more of a video interview, 
but like it's really inspiring and how have you stayed so in alignment with like who you were when you were at the bottom part now you're back to a different peak state yeah. how do you keep all that together you know great question by the way and and it is a big issue not just for me but for everybody and i use a process that i call you know i got to know my definition of success and i that DOS, I say, you know, the DOS is the boss, right? Whatever direction you're going, it's going to be because you have a clear definition of success. Mm. And so what I do is not only the nightly questions, but every morning I spend the first 30 minutes of my day, what I call the first fruit, right? I mean, you're familiar. You meditate in the mornings. I mean, I spend the first fruit writing, journaling, and praying, and clarifying by reading out loud. And yes, I read it. I don't let myself just say it. I read it out loud because I'm constantly refining it. I read my definition of success mm. and I keep refining it. And it gets, my goal is for it to keep getting tighter and tighter and tighter because every day I need to know what the things are that I could do that would move me closer, that would take a little bit of distance away. Now, yes, I understand, you know, structural tension, right? We set the goal, we set the objective farther out as we get closer because we want to keep growing. But yeah, I literally, if I don't spend time every day talking to myself even about my personal definition of success, getting it crystal clear, then it's just easy to be distracted. It's easy to wander. I've just literally had to do this. If people who work with me individually, this is what we do. You know, this is a measurable. And why don't people do it? Because it's too easy. It's too simple. <laughs> I mean, having lived in Thailand for two years and having lived in the U.S., recently California, San Francisco, they're very different about this. And I think that what goes on in our Western society a lot more is that people are looking for things from the outside to bring their attention to them. It's like an entertainment-based paradigm. It's like, hmm. there's some new thing that's got my attention and now that's what I'm focused on. Whereas like, I think that the Eastern culture has a lot more of that internal orientation. It's like, I'm going to spend some time just outside listening to the birds and understanding my internal. And I'm going to act once I have a strong conviction that this is what I'm going to do. And they appear lazy, but I think like my fiance is awesome because she doesn't run around getting distracted, doing things, stressing herself out. Everything she does is in alignment with what God is like. God's hands are on yeah. her life in all wow. those ways. Wow. I think it's beautiful. And I want yeah. more of that in our society here in the West. And I think things like carving out 30 minutes in the morning for whatever it takes for you to get in the right orientation, inwardly focused and externally tied to that inward focus is important. But when you don't have the inward anchor, then yeah, you're going to get distracted. You're going to be pulled all over the place. You're going to say, woe is me. Life has me trapped and I can't figure it out. And head trash yeah. it becomes there you go. It's just mold. Yeah, we're reactionary. <laughs> Basically, I don't right. like these just broad statements, but generally speaking, our culture and our leadership is in this reactionary state mm -hmm. where we're responding to stimuli. And that's one of the reasons I, I showed you the poster for my, my new book that's coming out, Circumstances Lie. That's one of the reasons I'm writing that book is because when we focus, you're saying it better than I did, when we focus on the things that we believe are in our environment that are creating a reaction within us and we believe those things are truth, then we're being lied to.
Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living at your purpose? I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30 minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign-up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiance while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. The, the real truth is within our purpose. It's us discovering what we're capable of. And for me, that means what we're capable of in the kingdom. And those things start to dissolve. Not that, not that they're not there. Not that we don't feel suffering or feel pain or, or have to endure some difficulty. Mm -hmm. But it's on the journey. It's like I'm driving through a mountain pass, right? It's not that I'm camped out here, staying here forever. I'm moving through this circumstance to where I was destined to go. And, and, and man, you're, you're so far along at your age. I'm really proud of you, man. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm excited. And I'm learning how to build businesses too. I have a podcast business. I, we have a team of four at this point. And I just started real estate investing about two months ago. And so I recently went to learn from a business leader about creating an entrepreneur operating system. And one of his key points was about how when you're building a team, you need to know your culture's values and where you're going and be able to hire people that are in alignment with that. And then also like have systems in place to not be running around reactionary to everything because that team needs you to be removed enough to have that vision to be able to orchestrate the group. And if you're reactionary to everything that's going wrong, they don't have any leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's great. All of that, man, I'm glad you're planting those seeds in your head. And I think guys who have been or people who've been in leadership for years will attest to the fact 
that they know all those things, but implementing those strategies, you know, having the awareness is massively different than what's happening on a day-to-day basis when you've got dozens or hundreds of people that are bombarding you and customers and payroll and accounting and licensing and legal issues and all of this stuff that after a while, the main thing gets lost if a person's not careful. It shouldn't, but if the systems aren't in place for us to do that, you know, like most of the people I deal with, just have to be honest, are people who are already in that where they're like, Greg, I can't even get done the things on my desperate expectation list. You know, how am I supposed to build my team? How am I supposed to create this? And honestly, I'm very envious of people who are fresh and new and getting this kind of information at an early age because a lot of us didn't start that way. We started with a whole different culture and mindset, you know, three decades ago. I'm blessed with like lots of research being done. You know, I'm post all that startup stuff. And so there was a lot of research done on culture and organization building around Google and, you know, things like that. So now we're more than a decade out and have some truths from that. But to me, it's it's still theoretical. Like I haven't actually ran an organization of hundreds of people. And so I do still feel nervousness about, am I going to waver from the course as well? Because it's, seems to be something related to our human nature to, yeah. to get off path. And that's why the creating a network that we can be real with is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got our networks that we really still have our shields up. Maybe just in a rare moment, we really let them down, but we're very careful. Mm-hmm. That's where I was forever. I got to the point where I felt like I really had no close friends. And the few people who tried to be close friends, I suspected them. You know, I suspected their agendas and I, I could never really be myself. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this. But the flip side is like I teach a class called how to lead when you don't feel like a leader. In fact, that's one of the things I wanted to offer you and your listeners today. Maybe we can put that in the show notes or something is access to that class on you know a free basis just to, as a gift from me. Because how to lead when you don't feel like a leader is not just about that person who's never led. It's about that person who is, has found themselves not knowing how to grow mm. and not knowing how to duplicate their leadership. In other words, we get in there and we're like, you know, the only way I'm ever going to grow or have more time or margin is to be able to help the people I'm working with to become a leader so that I don't have to make all their decisions and I don't, you know, I need more leaders. And that course is designed to help people see what I consider to be the only four things that a leader needs to lead now, right now. And it's kind of been the process of me working with people who are in the trenches and they're like, Greg, I don't have time to step out and get theoretical. I need to know what I can do right now in the fray and make it happen. And it's been a really fun experience helping people break it down. I love that. Yeah, and definitely we'll have that in the show notes. I think you mentioned something about creating a custom audio recording or something we could pop in. Yeah, yep, I'll do yeah, that. For sure, that sounds good. So where do you think we tend to go wrong? If we do know this stuff theoretically, what is it? Is it a sense of pride or ego that's like, I'm the only one that can hold this team together? Is that it? Or is it like a fear-based scarcity thing? Is like, this is all going to run out soon unless I'm fully present and attentive to it? What's going on there? How do we get off course? You know, I think there could be several things, but 
I am only speaking from my experience, okay? Mm-hmm. My experience was that I gradually believed it was easier to do it myself, okay? Just bring me all the information. I'll make a decision. I will strategize. I will do this. I clearly am the leader, so I clearly have all the best ideas, right? <laughs> it was that probably a combined ego and need for validation. You know, I did a podcast interview a couple years ago where on the interview, mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up the information for this book that you can see, Overcoming 10 Common Fears All Leaders Face. That was my second book. And why? Because they asked me about fear and suddenly we rattled off like 10 different fears. Maybe that's another issue we can, another episode we can record one of these days. 10 common fears. And I would have said I didn't have any of those fears. Mm -hmm. But the truth is I was afraid of being insignificant. I was afraid of other people's opinions. I was afraid that everybody wouldn't agree with me. And so I just talked louder and more passionately. And I, you know, found ways to consider my dominance as validation when in fact it kept me from building the leaders, the core leaders that I really needed. Mm. And literally I had about a thousand employees at that point and I needed those leaders. You know, I needed them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You need those people to head their own departments. And yeah. I mean, it's an interesting paradox that you have to step down to really step up in what you're trying to build. Yeah. It's a humility based paradigm to be in. And I love that. I love how you just mentioned that. Like that is, that's beautiful. You did nail it though. The reality is a leader's primary function is to create culture, right? It really is. Mm -hmm. And to be stepped back where they can hear and understand the beliefs and continue to help align like that Venn diagram look, you know, help align people's definition of success with a shared definition of success or determine that those people need to move on. And if you don't do that, it becomes then about the paycheck or the transactional leadership. And wow, is that scary. Sorry, that's a whole other piece. I love all these pieces of the puzzle. And I've failed at them and I've won at them, you know, all of them. And before I forget to say this, if you haven't ever heard this concept, I'm sure you probably have, but have you ever heard the concept of the beginner's mind? Oh yeah, that's the Japanese, what's it called? Wu Win, something like this. Yeah, it's like... (laughs) Step back to the beginning and look at everything with a completely fresh lens as if there's no story to it, as if there's not any, you know, this is more than just a water bottle. It has color, it has shape, it has light. Like, yeah, yeah recognizing the, the essence of things. Yeah. Well, from a leader's standpoint, I simplify it like this. Uh-huh. What we think we already know, we don't learn about, right? right. We, we don't. And when you become a leader and you've got some seasoning, I think after a while you think, oh yeah, I got that. Oh, I understand that buzzword. I know how to use that properly in context. I know how this ought to be. I've got to focus out there. And we stop embracing things with the desire to constantly learn and improve. And when that happens is when we begin the failure process. And I see that so vividly in my own life now And that's why I promote in such a big way the networking of, in particular, Christian men who are leaders. Yeah. I tend to be a little bit in your face, so I attract more guys than girls. (laughs) Well, I'm certainly attracted to this message, like networking of Christian men who are leaders that are looking to grow themselves for the purpose of growing organizations and teams that work towards the kingdom of God. I'm into that. I'm about that every single day. Awesome. 
man. So why teach leadership? Why is that like where you're finding a lot of your calling right now? What is it about influencing other leaders that is so important to you? Interestingly, I didn't want to talk about it, okay? <laughs> I really didn't. Mm-hmm. I kind of, my own head trash kind of put me in this mindset that there's enough voices out there talking about leadership. They certainly don't need me to talk about it. But as I began to speak and as I began to connect with other men, what I found was that what seems obvious isn't all that obvious. What's the thing they say The common sense is not so common. Okay. <laughs> you know? ah, there it is. Yeah, I mean, nice. uh, you know, what I found was that there are a lot of conversations that need to be had in a safe place, knowing that people don't have an agenda for why they're mm. having that conversation with you. And I found that more and more people were connecting with me and saying, Hey, you know, I love your teaching, but I've got this issue in my business. I'm looking for financing or I'm, I'm struggling to put a business plan together, or I've got a partner that is giving me trouble, or, you know, I've got an employee issue and on and on and on. And I thought, oh yeah, I mean, I'll help you with that because I have those experiences. And then I realized that it's kind of like that urgent versus important. You've seen that Mm -hmm. graph, right? That graphic where, you know, so often the, the urgent things are what drive us and the important things don't have much urgency. And what (laughs) important thing is not having urgency. Yeah, they really don't because it's like, well, you know, if I don't go for a run this morning, you know, I'm not going to die, you know? So I don't have time because something urgent is pushing me out of that. I don't have time to be intentional in this relationship because I've got a meeting in five minutes. You know, I don't have time. So important things get pushed aside by the urgent. I mean, it's a Stephen Covey. It's all these guys, you know, do a great job talking about this. But what I realized was that even though I wanted to share core level leadership philosophy and culture, I realized that until we as leaders are able to see important things in the middle of our chaos, in other words, like Mm. I've got this thing that's killing me, but they're hiding in there are opportunities for important things opportunities physically, mentally, relationally, faith, and finance. They all exist in that same moment. And the one that's screaming at us is the urgent one. Mm -hmm. And so what I try to do and try to teach, and it's also a part of my philosophy for why I talk about leadership, is that in the moments that we're really dealing with big-time leadership issues, I don't care if you're, you know, leading a small committee at church and you just don't know what to do, or leading a massive organization, There are these moments when the chaos tends to push the important issues out and we think we'll do them later. And what I've found is that the value of of leadership training is that in the middle of the chaos, I want people to answer this question. Okay, freeze frame for like five seconds. Something important is going on right now behind the scenes or there's an opportunity in this moment for you to enhance a relationship There's an opportunity for you to expand your faith and to express even to God what's going on in your faith and to change your focus. There's an opportunity hiding right now behind this urgency. And so that's why I talk about leadership because to me, it's like leadership 3D. I've never said that before, but it's like, how do I see my leadership and see the kingdom at the same time, Tanner? How do I do that? The only way I know to do that is to be clear 
on what's important, on what our mission is, what our purpose for living is, and not separate them. Not like they're in competition with each other. So I've got this crisis going on at work. But in the middle of that, what could be important that I'm missing? And oh, I'm telling you, man, it changes everything. But it doesn't happen, you know, because we, it's not an aha moment. It's a process. Right. So before I found myself going to Thailand, I was actually in this chaos. I had stayed in my college town because I thought my girlfriend at that time was going to stay with me. She was a senior, so I was kind of waiting for her. I got a corporate job doing sales marketing stuff, working for other people's dreams that was not fulfilling, making tons of cold calls, getting told no all the time by these you know, business owners that have run their business for 30, 40 years why they don't trust me to run their marketing campaigns. Obviously, like I didn't even, I'm 22, 23, never ran a marketing campaign. Makes sense. My grandma died. I was living with a Craigslist roommate and it was freezing cold in Minnesota where I was living in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it took me getting a concussion because I was going way too hard on the basketball court on a Saturday afternoon. I'm playing some pickup and I hit my head so hard that I got a doctor's note for six weeks off of work. And I stayed in the dark in my apartment and that's where the clarity started to come. It's like, I need to be a teacher. I need to go to a foreign country. I need to go somewhere by myself and have my own mission and not just be tied down to this ex-girlfriend that's never coming back. I need to find like, you know, a purposeful work for myself. Yeah. And wow. like, I want to have freedom of time to discover um, habits and success and mindset and read things and apply wisdom and, you know, all of that. And it took, it took all of that breaking down for me to see that. But lots of times, like, we don't want everything to break down to be able to see that. And it's like this no. conundrum. Yeah, right. Broken is on the path to breakthrough. That is my, mm, I believe it. I don't so, like it. So my question to you is like, how do you get people to break through without having to go through the entire teardown of the broken? People have asked me that question. I have people say to me, Greg, would you have come to these conclusions if you hadn't been broken? Mm -hmm. And I say, probably not. Probably not. Now, did, say the same. did they need to happen? I'm not sure. But what I know is this. I take comfort in the reality that we all have to be broken, but we don't all have to be in catastrophic brokenness. Okay? Correct. Like, could it have gotten worse? Could I have completely ignored it? And maybe, if you want to look at it this way, maybe God said, well, I guess I'm going to have to take him to the edge of death. You know? I don't know. But what I know is that when people begin to understand their brokenness and will embrace their brokenness and it becomes an atrocity to them, it becomes unacceptable because generally, wow, this is another whole topic I love talking to, generally what we accept becomes what we believe, right? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, wow, that's something to stew over. What yeah, we accept becomes what we believe. What we accept ultimately becomes what we believe. It starts out as something we just accept, and then we ultimately own it. Anyway, the whole other topic, man, I'm telling you, I love this train of thought. But yeah, for me, I do believe that people have to be broken. But I also believe that they, by and large, already are broken. And it's just not at a level that everybody knows about it. It's not at a level that it's no longer possible to hide it. So do you get them to the experience of their brokenness without having, you know, a bankruptcy, divorce, head injury? Like, how do you avoid the major brokenness? You're saying they're already broken. Do they need to just like 
experience and immerse themselves in that degree of them that is broken to be able to break out? How do you play that game without, you know, the catastrophe happening? Well, interesting question, man. Nobody's ever asked me that. And I don't, number one, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist and I don't. What I know is what has worked for me. And that's all I share with people. And it's kind of like this. Rather than looking back, I look forward. So what we do is work to define what their clear definition of success is and what that means, what it feels like. But at the same time, once you've established that, right, we know there's a battlefield between here and there. Mm -hmm. There just is. It's not coming to us. We're going to it. Mm. And so then we start to identify, well, what do I believe now about that? What would I have to believe if that were going to be true? Mm-hmm. Right? Now we understand what's in the middle. What's in the middle? Our enemies. And those enemies always take the shape of the broken areas of our life. Right. So for me, I'm, here, I'm giving you like this dump truck load of stuff that takes sometimes years to process for people is digging through the layers and layers to understand, wait a minute, this is my enemy. This thing that I think I'm protecting, this thing that I think I'm camouflaging until I find the safe space to be able to just be broken. So my thing is, I'm not trying to bring that to light. I'm letting them bring that to light once they identify the enemies that are keeping them back. Because for most people, it becomes a, well, if I were really, you know, like for instance, I'll say, well, Tanner's already achieved that. What do you think he believes about this? Oh, well, man, he probably believes this and this and this, you know, I don't know how I could ever believe that. He believes this about himself. He's got this level of confidence. Okay. Yeah. If I know what other people believe who are already achieving what I want to achieve or have already stepped closer to their purpose, let's say, then how do I do that? Well, I got to identify what's in the way. And, and, you know, this is just a stepwise process where we walk through this. That's one of the things that just takes time and not only time, it takes vulnerability. Yes. More than anything, we've got to get safe. When I'm dealing with guys or people one-on-one or in small groups, it takes time before they're actually willing to just kind of let the mask come off. How do we become vulnerable with our own thoughts when we're not proud of them and they make us feel incredibly uncomfortable and they kind of debase all of that, like a lot of what we've have put our confidence in? Oh. Yeah, I think it does become a set aside because the most common experience I've had is when people will become vulnerable because somebody else is vulnerable. Mm. So you lead with vulnerability and then others around you open up with their vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, even if they don't know what to do with it, even if it's like in the moment, it's been pounding on them to get out and it comes out and then we brace ourselves and we come back. But it's the process. It's the chipping away. You know, it's the breaking of that boulder. I've seen it happen in groups of like eight or 10 guys where, you know, somebody in the group literally just shares their heart about something that can be really screwed up, man. I mean, it can be really messed up. And then other people, oh, you know, they feel safe, I guess. I know that's what I experienced in telling my story is that I'll have people like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And they'll talk to me about something in their life that they just didn't know how, they didn't know it was okay. I had a guy tell me one time, I didn't know it was okay to talk about this stuff. (laughs) That's the only way I know to do it, man. Just one-on-one and just personally developing. So, yeah, no, I agree with that. 
And I think there's a lot of ways to do it. I think what you're tapping into with that writing process, writing can give so much self-clarity. I know I learned a lot from starting a blog and just going into the mountains and spending four hours writing. You're like, wow, I didn't know I thought that or I believe that. Or mm. I do carry that incredible, like unbridled optimism inside me. Why don't I live like that more? You know, it's awesome to like learn those really positive things when you become vulnerable as well. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message. Just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. It seems like you were able to tap into this vulnerability with people. I remember in your the book or the podcast, I'm sure it's in both. I haven't read your entire book yet. But you talked about this man that after 14 years, you don't touch people in prison, right? Right. And then you ended up asking him if he believed in God. And he would take a long time, I think like five minutes, and would say like, yes. And it was like, what if God w- went before you? And then you were able to accomplish some of these things that you have anxiety over. Yeah. Yes, that could happen. And then you prayed for this man. With your, you asked if you could put your hand on him, that you could pray. And these are like super, you know, taboo, very out there things to do in that prison culture. How do you tap into, like, you're tapping into something really grand when you're doing that. Like, could you talk about the power of God's presence and prayer and communion with others in that process? Yeah, I want to be really careful not to make it sound like, you know, I did some incredible superpower kind of thing because I was terrified. I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, it was in a moment of my own seeking. You know, I'd been seeking, like, is there any reason for me to even be alive? Is there still purpose for my life? Right. I couldn't imagine what I would even do. And I'd become the outside driver for the prison, right? They trusted me, I guess, you know. I You're making 30, 35 people, bucks a month. 35 You're bucks the, a month. I was hot. You were the man. rich man in prison. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's so many prison stories. I know I've got a lot of them in the book and, and a lot of journaling from prison. Anybody who's interested in that story, I really encourage them. I'm sure you'll put the link yeah. or whatever to that in the below. But, you know, I, I was just driving along and it was like my heart rate started going up. And I'd just been in prayer before I came on the trip. And I was taking this guy to the bus station Mm -hmm. to go home. And he'd been in prison for 14 years. He was a Native American guy. So I didn't really even know culturally what his expectation would be. And he was massive. I mean, he made me look like a tiny boy. He was (laughs) huge as far as muscularly. And he was talking. He was like, 
rambling because he probably hadn't slept for a few days. He's now going home and he just kept saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'll find a job. I don't know if my family even wants me to be home. I've got a daughter that I was barely born before I came to prison and she's never come to visit me. I don't know if I can provide for her. I mean, he was just, you know, on overload. And I'm sitting there and I felt like, you know, the perspective, maybe you've heard like old time preachers say, you know, they felt God's thumb in their back kind of thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I felt like, oh my goodness, I have to say something. Well, what would I say? You know, I don't know what to say. And so I just finally, in a moment of silence, said, Do you believe in God? And he said, You know, like you said, it was a big silence. And I'm thinking, Oh, mm. baby, I maybe you should just shut up right now. And he said, I do. And there was more silence. And then I said, you, you think God could like just go before you so that when you get there, he's already there and like preparing whatever's going to happen? I mean, is that crazy? And he says, the big silence, and he says, I do. And that was all that was said. And when we got to the bus station, I'm like, my heart is pounding, man. It's just pounding. And uh, just before he gets out, you know, you got a picture. Here's the two of right. us in a little Ford Ranger because that was the vehicle. Uh, and believe me, I never knew how comfortable the seats in a Ford Ranger could be when you're used to sitting in a plastic chair that you haul around with you everywhere you want to go. Just a side note. And um, just as he went to open the door, I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And he said, okay. I said, do you mind if I touch you? Because that's like you said, that's like, that's where air fist bumps were invented, man, is prison. You don't touch anybody. It's just a crazy culture there. And uh, he said, okay. So I put my hand on his shoulder. And I just said a prayer. I don't even know what I said. And man, when I drove off from there, it was like I was with angels. Man, I was just, I was crying and <laughs> praying out loud to God and that he would go before this guy and, and open the door, that somebody would be there that could interface with him and help him, you know, to integrate into society. And that, you know, I, I mean, I just prayed out loud. You know, I'm by myself just ranting in this truck, praying out loud. And in that moment, Tanner, I knew that God could still use me. I know it seems like that should be a foregone conclusion, but I knew in that moment that my purpose was going to endure and that I could make an impact on people's lives, even if I couldn't measure it. Because I, I don't know this guy's full name even. I don't know what happened to him. All I know is that God used me in that moment. I believe it. I felt it. I felt his spirit like more than I've ever felt. And so then over the next like six months, I probably 60 to 70% of the guys that I transported, I talked to them and just asked them if it was okay. I prayed for them. Mm -hmm. And they didn't all, they weren't all receptive, but by and large, most of them were. And I just, I felt like God gave me this awareness that I was still his guy. I was still the warrior that he sent me here to be. I was, I was still the guy that he could say, oh no, watch what I can do through you. And so it was the beginning. It was the seed that was planted in me that I had a mission, a purpose. I had purpose, even though I had failed, even though I had, had, had let my family down, even though in my mind, my identity was in shambles. I was like, wow, God can still use me. It's amazing. Wow. That was beautiful. Yeah, we're going to have to do a second interview. <laughs> I look forward to it. So, 
maybe we can finish this interview off with a few questions more generally about purpose. And maybe it can be like a little shorter, maybe like less story focused, but just kind of get your your answer. I know you don't like to talk in generals, but no, that's fine. I think these kind of things are easier for people to take away, like just little bite-sized things. And, but the questions are hard. So what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self around purpose? My advice would be to find other people who share your values and your definition of success and build those relationships for the long haul. That's something I didn't do. I gradually isolated myself. I ended up migrating away from deep relationship. And I really believe that you know, we need each other more than we need anything else. And obviously in context with our relationship with God, but that's the advice I wish I could give myself. I love that. Yeah. And then on top of that, like, how do we express our needs to others without feeling so transactional? You know, like we don't all have it together and another person doesn't have it all together. But when we come together, we're stronger. It's a vulnerability aspect. But like, how do we express those needs to others without feeling transactional? Yeah. Well, clearly it doesn't happen because we just show up for it to happen. I think it happens when we build deep relationship because without a deep relationship with God, we're not even honest with him, right? We're busy lying to him. We're busy lying to ourselves. And when we find ourselves at a level of peace, relaxed mm -hmm. with certain people, then I think the door becomes open for us to actually share our vulnerability and be at risk. And that takes time. Okay. We can't just expect people to want to hear our pain and then walk away because we dumped it on them. And we can't expect other people to share their pain until we build trust. And so I think it's a trust first mm -hmm. and then we move on. And you talk a lot about grace. What is grace to you and how is it related to purpose? Wow. That's a great question. You know, I found myself in a position of needing grace. And that's when I understood it finally. Don't get me wrong, I needed it before. I just didn't think I needed it, right? I, grace is like for people who can't do it themselves. <laughs> that's what I believed, right? I wouldn't have said that out loud, but internally, that's how it felt. And It's a weakness. Yeah, it was a weakness. And suddenly, I had this vision when I was in, in prison, literally. I said, yeah, but God, I want to deserve it. You know, I know I don't deserve your grace, but I want to deserve it. And suddenly, I had this imagery that somehow I was saying that it would be more satisfying to me if I earned God's favor instead of what Christ did for me. And that was like, whoa, that's not what I'm saying. I realized that it was idolatrous mm -hmm. for me to believe that there was an earning process that I wanted to deserve it. And so, I mean, my definition or my awareness of grace came in freedom. It actually came in this moment where I was like, do I believe that that means nothing matters? No. What I believe it means is that everything matters and it's all subject to God's grace and that all of it is just me being in the system being plugged into him and letting him bear the fruit, not me trying to bear fruit, right? I'm an image thinker, right? I'm a picture thinker, but that's how grace came alive to me. And man, 
I needed it so bad and I, I will never let go of this beautiful concept. Wow. Thank you so much for that answer. So yeah, I mean, as we wrap up this interview, I think we'll do a, probably a part two. I want to hear from you kind of, what do you hope people take away from this like next week? What is like a couple of action items that you would be able to assign people off of what we've talked about? Thanks for that opportunity. You know, first off, I want you to know that the reason I talk about these things and the reason I was so excited to engage with you because I knew and felt your purpose and knew that what you were trying to do was make an impact on the world in the same way that I am trying to raise that awareness. Mm -hmm. So immediately I knew that we needed to be friends and I appreciate that. And I also want for your listeners, you know, I desperately want for them to feel the potential, the purpose. You know, I always say to people, you know, it's purpose, passion, and potential, right? They all feed together. I mean, our potential can't be unlocked until we know what our purpose is. Mm -hmm. And then we got to have fuel, right? And then we can experience our purpose. It's not the other way around. And what I'm offering, what I'd like to do is anybody who says, man, I'd love to know more. What I could offer is, you know, connect with me on Facebook. I mean, I do have a free Facebook group called the No Head Trash Nation, which, you know, I just talk about this kind of stuff openly. And then I also um, going to, like I said, put a link on probably going to be noheadtrash.com slash POP for your people only. And I'm going to put on there a free, what I'm calling a masterclass, which is really about just short, about 15 minutes about the four things that help leaders lead when they don't really feel like a leader. I think they're really important steps that you can use right now. That's a course I usually teach and literally travel to teach. So I'm happy to share it. And then if anybody really just is like, Greg, I need to talk to somebody who's been broken about my brokenness, man. I mean, we can put a link in there if you want to my calendar. We schedule a call. I'm not trying to say I've gotten the guy with the answers, but I'm just saying if God puts it out there and wants to open those doors, I'm happy to share what I've learned and to try to make an impact on your listeners' lives. Wow. Thank you so much, Greg. Well, it's been beautiful to talk to you today. And I know that some of these things you said are going to really stick with me this week. And one thing I'm going to for sure be doing is looking to be vulnerable with myself and in my relationships so that we can develop deep trust and network to really move forward towards the kingdom of God together. Um, and I'm excited to do that. Uh, I don't feel like I have to do this life alone. And I don't have to make up false stories about who I am and what I'm doing. I just be honest and vulnerable and find that nugget of truth and pure positive in the chaos that life inherently brings to us. Yeah, man. You're an awesome leader, man. I'm, I'm really proud of what you're doing. It's comforting to me to see young guys like yourself that are picking up the banner and marching forward. So anything I can do to help make that happen, I will. Thank you for the encouragement. Yeah feel young sometimes, but other times uh, I know that I have a voice and have some things I need to say. And yep. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear that encouragement. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having a wonderful interview today on People of Purpose, and I'm sure you'll be back for a part two. And in the meantime, for all the listeners, I keep becoming People of Purpose. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. 
Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. If you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast, bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 